Hi guys, welcome to the All Things May podcast. My name is Melina Stevens, better known as May, and here on this podcast we talk about a variety of different topics. The episodes on this podcast are raw, real, and as unedited as possible because I want to enhance the insightfulness and connection that each episode produces. A new episode will be released each Friday, and if you have a suggestion for an episode, please let me know. Now, let's get into this week's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of All Things May. Um, Today on this episode, I have a very, very special guest with me. She is one of my professors at university right now. And her name is Dr. Muna Saleh. She is an incredible woman, human, mother, teacher. Um, she's been a really big inspiration to me this this past semester because this is actually the first um, semester that I've had her as a teacher. Um, she teaches us social studies and she's extremely insightful. Like I'm talking, no one has their laptop out in class on Facebook or Pinterest or anything because her classes are so enticing and she just speaks from the heart, tells it how it is, and we all just really appreciate her. So I was like, oh my god, I need to get her on the podcast. Everyone else in the class was like, yes, Melina, please get her on the podcast. So I did and I asked her what she wanted to talk about and she suggested vulnerability, which I was all for because I've been really listening to uh, Dr. Brene Brown. If you don't know about uh, Brene Brown, she is um, a very well-known psychologist and researcher in the field of vulnerability, shame, courage, and guilt. She has one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time. She's been interviewed by Oprah. And she's on many different podcasts. She has like three New York Times bestselling books out. Um, anyway, she's like the queen of vulnerability. So uh, Dr. Soleil and I both love her. And we decided to, to speak about vulnerability from uh, a human perspective, uh, a female perspective. And then from uh, Dr. Soleil is a Muslim woman. So she spoke from vulnerability as um, a woman of uh, color. So it's just an amazing episode. She is an amazing person. Um, also, I was listening back to the ep- listening back on the episode like I do before I release them, and I'm just like, man, like her voice is just so soothing. Like I love her. You guys are gonna love this episode. You're gonna be in on it in awe of her. Uh, wow, I can't talk right now. In awe of her because she is just an incredible, incredible lady. So this one's a little bit longer. It's about an hour. Um, so go on a walk, go on a run, start cleaning your house, making dinner, what have you. Uh, carve out an hour in your day to listen to this because you are not going to want to miss it. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about vulnerability. So maybe let's just discuss what vulnerability is, how we define it, bring in some Brene Brown aspects to it, mm-hmm. and kind of see where our conversation goes from there. Do you want to say what your definition of vulnerability is? Sure. Um, for me, vulnerability is being your is showing yourself to the world. Mm-hmm. It's showing your tr- full self to the world because I think that there's a static 
kind of conception and a lot of researchers, a lot of theorists, a lot of uh, artists and activists talk about how identity is not static and it's not fixed. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think of, um, there's so many people who talk about this, but I know that Maria Lagones talks about this. I know that Maxine Green talks about this, about how um, we are not one kind of fixed static self. Mm-hmm. We are selves, many different parts to us, mm-hmm. but also selves and continuously in the making. Yeah. So if we're con- if we're thinking of vulnerabilities, how do we allow that to be seen? How do we yeah. allow ourselves to be truly seen and heard without feeling shame behind it? Maybe? Without without feeling the shame, but also I think that that shame has been almost drilled into us over time. Totally. So I think that like um if I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable in terms of talking about the fact that I do I'm constantly negotiating uh, depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly de- negotiating, you know, this feeling that I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what is known as imposter syndrome. Mm. And this is something that is always discussed, not just for teachers and for women, uh, academics, or but it's literally for many different people. But yeah, I think women seem to always not always have that but seem be more, more like likely suscept- susceptible to it yeah more likely yeah. to feel that right because mm-hmm. and I have to say as a woman of color specifically too mm-hmm. that it's uh, who wears hijab as you know mm-hmm. uh, I guess the listeners can't really see this but <laughs> yeah. just imagine me in hijab I'm, I'm beautiful <laughs> I'm, I'm awesome but I wear hijab yeah. Um, but, but yeah it's it's this constant wanting to prove that I deserve to be here mm-hmm. do you know what I mean mm-hmm, totally it's like yeah I think that I have like dealt with that too and I feel like growing up as like a female that I could only be one set identity and it is just now in my 26th year of life that I'm beginning to realize and be okay with having different identities and that those are actually welcomed Mm -hmm. and that it's okay to be a different part of yourself in different situations and different environments and different seasons of your life Mm -hmm. but I think there's like very much to be just one person and put into this box or like put underneath this like label and I think that's been very detrimental to my mental health too like I struggle with anxiety and depression as well I have for It'll be like nine years of the summer Mm -hmm. and that's been really difficult and being vulnerable and talking about it and showing who I am takes a lot of courage and I think that is also a part of being vulnerable too is like when you're vulnerable you are like showing the truest form of courage and Mm -hmm. that is so scary but it's also been so beneficial because then I've connected with other people in my life such as yourself such as other people that I've met in the mental health community and all over and like that pushing kind of pushing yourself um taking that leap of faith I guess has definitely been scary but brought me closer and made me made me bring out and be okay with more identities of myself Definitely. And I think when you say that it's the truest form of courage, definitely. We know that Brittany Brown does discuss that and how mm-hmm. uh, it's getting in the ring. It's, it's, it's taking that risk. Mm-hmm. And that if you're going to be judging me, and I love this part of what she says, if you're going to judge me for being in the ring, 
and you're sitting outside uh, out in the sidelines maybe you should just be be quiet Mm-hmm. Because unless you're in that ring, mm-hmm. unless you're also making yourself vulnerable and be seen and taking that risk, you have no no sense mm-hmm. uh, that is worth my attention. Mm-hmm. And that's been difficult for me to really actually conceptualize in real life as I experience whatever it is that I'm experiencing in that moment. So, for example, if I tell somebody that, you know, yeah, I'm just being very open about it, because especially as, as, a, as a Palestinian Muslim woman mm-hmm. to say uh, in hijab uh, to say I struggle with m- mental health and uh, I'm constantly negotiating depression and anxiety some people think that's too open mm-hmm. and but it's funny because it's from both within and, and from within my uh, Palestinian Muslim community and family but it's also outside of that that mm-hmm. I experience that so from within my family it's kind of like it's it's almost a, it, there is a sense of shame Mm-hmm. that oh she's not normal we have to like why would you do that to yourself <laughs> I have a family who tell me you're a professor like why would you do that why would you taint your name almost right yeah. and I have to laugh it off because it is kind of funny that like it's funny to me because I just this is my family and we grew up with them and I know that they, they say that not because they're jerks but because they love me yeah and totally. they don't want people to judge me right? mm-hmm. kind of protecting you. exactly mm-hmm. but then so for people outside though the community so other teachers mm-hmm. when I say that I'm very open about it in my classroom well I don't know if I would share that that's a choice you can make definitely but the choice I'm making mm-hmm. is to share it because if I'm telling you know especially pre-service teachers how important it is to be open and honest and to have these conversations and then hiding something so huge right mm-hmm. and, and, a, and the topic that we keep that everybody is saying needs to be um, needs to be talked about need, uh, there should be no stigma mm-hmm. this is how I'm living my life and Yes, I might need some support and understanding, but there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. To be able to actually live it is so much more important than me just, you know, oh, well, let's talk to you and, you know, hashtags. Mm-hmm. It's it's the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's, I think it's really important to be vulnerable as a teacher, too, because then you're teaching your students to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and to speak their truth and be teach from a place of like authenticity mm-hmm. and I think that's awesome because I've felt like being a pre-service teacher and a future teacher like who am I supposed to be like what person am I supposed to be in front of my students but you've taught in class that like it is best to teach from who you really are and yeah that's being vulnerable but like once you do that I feel like it kind of brings down the wall between Mm -hmm. you and your students and then your teaching becomes better too because then you're not I don't know teaching from a place of like fakeness or uncertainty you're teaching from like your core and your core truths and values and and beliefs it's 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 really to me I think everybody benefits from consistency right Mm -hmm. so if I'm being inconsistent in my interpret in my projections of who I am or the different my my many different selves that is confusing mm-hmm. but if it's really like I said teaching ultimately has to be an expression of who you are mm-hmm. teaching is and it will always will be and even if I try to mask that or to create these cover stories of who I am what Clennon and Connolly call cover stories that we just we create these stories of what we think others want to see mm-hmm. in us um and that's ultimately we can't maintain that for it's it's an unhealthy way of being. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's taken me a while. Like um, 
I'm turning 39 this year, and it's taken me a long time to be comfortable to say, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And if that is not welcome, then I should not, this is not a place that I should be. Totally. To really reframe it for myself, that if I, in all of my fullness and complexity, am not welcome here, then maybe I need to look for somewhere else where I, hopefully I will be, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's taken a lot of time to get there, Yeah. you know? Because sometimes, and too often, especially, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, that was just starting to be something that was discussed, right? This idea that we need to be more accepting of diversity and different ways of being and not just cultural diversity not just religious or sexual diversity or gender-based diversity it's and abilities and different ways of doing things but just diversity of the self Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. of the different parts of yourself and Mm -hmm. the intersections uh that's only became fairly recently i'd say something that was something that people were really starting to not discuss because I'm sure it's been discussed for a long time, but to be aware of, to be yeah. like, to be this, become part of this, you know, the 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 awareness of um, the mainstream, I guess I would say, but something that's become more and more accepted. Yeah, and I haven't really thought about like the being vulnerable as like a strength instead of a weakness until like just recently, mm-hmm. like probably the past like six months because. And I feel like maybe I was being vulnerable by speaking my truth about like my mental health and other things I believe in, but I wasn't really correlating it to vulnerability. I was just like, this is who I am. I've been, I've always been an open-minded, like big mouth is what we say in my family person. Me too. So, so that's just been like, I always thought to myself, oh, I'm just being me. Yeah. But that it's so much more complex once you like reflect on it and like look at other what other people are saying about it and there's one thing that's on my mind right now do you know Jay Shetty no oh wait I think wait I might have heard the name he's uh he was a monk he went he went to be a monk for three years and now he has like a YouTube channel oh and I think I must have heard the name but no I'm not familiar with I'll this have story. to show you him after this but he says there's it's this is not by him I forget who it's by, but he says, I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who you think I think I am. <laughs> Which is very complex. Yes, but it's true. But, I, but I've been thinking about that quote recently, and I'm like, wow, that is so true. Because it has so much depth, so... I'm like, oh my god! Just the constant, like, like the bouncing of proje- the bouncing off of projections. Yeah, right? yeah. But what is being bounced off? What is being reflected? What is being absorbed? Exactly. Yeah. But it's so true. Like I, the image of myself is what I think you think I am, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna play to that in certain situations and environments and scenarios. And it's just like I don't know. It's kind of like mind-boggling to think about that. Like, mm-hmm. when are we ever thinking like truly from? who we are mm-hmm. you know like and it's interesting because I still struggle with that mm-hmm. I still struggle with this idea of you know what um who do I need to be in this situation mm-hmm. because there are situations you feel you have to foreground different parts of your identity mm-hmm. and that's very much tied to um the energy in the room so it's just this you become I think we all have experienced this where you just don't feel comfortable or you feel like I can't really be myself here. I think it's like also maybe like a defense mechanism or like yes. a safety mechanism so that 
you aren't being vulnerable because like some the repercussions of being vulnerable is being scrutinized or marginalized or made fun of or bullied and no one wants that no human being wants to be isolated right. or reprimanded for who they are exactly and just um so remember when I talked about Maria Lagones in class so this Maria Lagones talks about how uh, world traveling with either loving perception or arrogant perception mm-hmm. and so in those situations and she she talks about this um, so beautifully she talks about how in different situations depending on how we are constructed so basically how we perceive that we are being pers- construct- uh, constructed. So it's the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. So I am constructed this way. This is how I'm perceiving this situation. So it's not even so much that, oh, it's only because I think it. It's because I feel it. Mm-hmm. I know it. It's mm-hmm. this bo- embodied knowledge over time that in this situation, every, my t- every part of my being is telling me that I can't really be myself and this is who I have to be in this situation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the, it's, she talks about specifically women of color, specifically uh, Latina uh, women of color. Hmm. So she talks about how there's this knowledge of when the, the, all of the parts of themselves are welcome and when, when it's not. And when um, they might have to animate a certain construction of themselves. Mm-hmm. So she talks about it and she just says it so beautifully. But this idea that in that sense we are trying to travel to different worlds but we it's it's unhealthy when we're traveling to different worlds based on arrogant mm-hmm. perceptions and constructions yeah and that we felt that in, and everybody feels like that in different situations mm-hmm. that for whatever reason in this world this is who i have to be and it is a survival tactic and it is a defense mechanism mm-hmm. um and this, the, for me, especially in my research alongside Muslim uh, mothers and daughters, there were times where they had to animate constructions of who they thought they had to be in certain situations. Like for what situations, for instance? So, for example, so in my, in my research, I talk about how Muslim women are often storied and single-storied. We talked about the dangers of a single-storied to Amanda Adichie. Uh, TED Talk, please watch it for those listening because it is amazing. Mm-hmm. But so how Muslim women are often single-storied as victims of oppression, as uh, not really capable of choosing for themselves, as being primitive or, you know, brainwashed, whatever. There's so many single stories of who we are and what we believe and what we can do and can't do. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, there's two instances that I think about when, when we talk about that they had to animate certain constructions so in one of them <clears throat> one of the girls was um, her sister actually she was telling me her story of her, her older sister she's in high school she was on a bus on the way home and she's they're from uh, she's originally from Somalia and she wears hijab um, and she was on the bus and this man just I don't know why and what triggered him but he just started swearing at her get get the F out of this country and all of, all of that disgusting rhetoric and so she, what she felt that she she couldn't be safe in that situation so what she did was she wouldn't she wouldn't dare to like challenge him she was really she was scared mm-hmm. so she had to animate the story of this poor you know Muslim girl who is going to call someone for safety, somebody else, because nobody else on that bus was really standing with her. 
And she had to protect herself. She had herself. to protect herself, so she called her brother, and she got off on the next stop. Right, I remember you talking about this in class. Yeah, and so that's one example where she did have to animate whatever what that person's construction of her was. Mm-hmm. That somebody who could not really speak for herself and couldn't really, because it was for her own safety. Mm-hmm. So there are certain situations where we do have to animate that for whatever reason in our minds and at that time, right? Mm-hmm. Another, um, another time was... In class for another girl in the research and she's such a sweetheart and she she put on the hijab while, while we were researching because it was over two years her hijab was on and then she took off her hijab, her hijab she just I was like that I didn't wear hijab fully until I was like 21 mm. and it was a struggle putting it on and off because I just wasn't always I wasn't comfortable with the decision because of how I felt when I had it on mm. and it was only later and the reason I felt that way is I it's because of the, the the outside gaze yeah right so mm-hmm. and that's not easy to contend with is mm-hmm. to understand that you're being storied because of what you the, this choice that you're making that is so fully tied to your your own sense of self and your identity and your faith mm-hmm. but anyways um in gym class one day one of the girls that she um she had taken off her hijab because it was a girls only gym class mm. and so with other girls you can take it off and she decided to do that and so one of the girls in class said oh my god you're so beautiful without it on Ooh. yeah yeah so for her that it's interesting because i'm sure that that other girl meant well meant well mm-hmm. yeah but she felt like crap yeah. like she just said it was the worst feeling in the world right yeah. and so she imagined where you have to you're not allowed to say, she didn't feel like she had space to say that. That's actually not right, that's not okay to say. So she just kind of said, thank you. Yeah. And then kept and went on her way, mm-hmm. you know? And then somebody else ended up speaking up and saying, you know, she's, she looks beautiful regardless. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, she didn't have feel like she had space to, to do anything but to animate that construction. Mm-hmm. And being, oh, so th- grateful that somebody's acknowledging her beauty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally. So... Anyways, these are just some situations where we just, for whatever reason, feel like we have to, we don't have space to do anything other than that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that plays into definitely like women of color, but like women in general, Mm -hmm. I feel as though I have definitely played into different animations of who I am just to please others or sit well with others especially I think when it comes to men as well mm-hmm. playing into kind of what they want and like what they want to see and hear from you and even to the point of like holding back in relationships of like who I truly am because I wanted to kind of fit into this box that the person I was dated person I was dating at the time wanted me to be in like not I don't know not swearing as much or acting more ladylike or what have you like all of those things that we think men want us to be but that does more harm to us and the relationship in the long run Mm -hmm. because if someone's not being their authentic self then there's going to be that tension and that I don't know, it's not going to be congruent. Because you can't maintain. You can't maintain no. that cover story for very long. Mm-mm. And so regardless, it's, it's, it, there, there'll be cracks in it sooner or later, right? Mm-hmm. Or if not, huge ruptures. Yeah, totally. Because, let's be honest, that's not who you are. So it's not, 
to be able to maintain that, you'd have to be a psycho, a psychopath, or a sociopath, mm-hmm. or I don't know what the, doctor, mm-hmm. but literally, like, not you. It's just not who you are. So how are you going to keep that up for that long, yeah. and over such a long period of time with the same person? Mm-hmm. So that's it's hard though. It's hard allowing yourself to be fully seen. I'm literally writing about about this with uh, two of my colleagues, Ginny Menon and Dr. Haruko Kabuta, and we're talking about women in the academy specifically. Mm. And we talk about how vulnerability, and this is for a, um, a book, and I'm sorry I forgot the editor's names, but they're editing, because uh, I only know their first names, but I feel like I'd actually be more disrespectful to just get their <laughs> first names. So I'm just going to leave it for now. But uh, So the, the book, and we're contributing a chapter because it's called Diverse Landscapes in, in, in Leadership, but mm-hmm. for women leaders specifically. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we're talking about how leading with vulnerability. So, and how, what does that look like to lead with vulnerability? Because a lot of the time this, yes, Brene Brown talks about it, but how is this actually lived in the academy? How can we make it tangible? Yeah, how yeah. is this like, she talks about this and she gives wonderful suggestions and examples and I love her work, but how does this look like? But we also complicate it because we are three women of color. Mm-hmm. all three of us from different places in the world originally mm-hmm. so it's like how do you how do you allow yourself to be truly seen but especially also contending with the idea of people aren't really wanting to see all of you yeah that's or true. aren't really open to hearing everything you have to say mm-hmm. so it's this vulnerability that's twofold right it's to, to allow yourself to actually go there mm-hmm. but the vulnerability also of knowing that it could easily very well be rejected mm-hmm. because that part of yourself isn't welcome. We don't want to see that. We don't want to hear that. Yeah, and then when it's rejected, like, then what? Like, kind of got to... Oh, well, then st- we talk about them and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we just yeah. bad And then the we crap. bash them. <laughs> <laughs> don't take no crap. <laughs> we just bad them behind their back and then we move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Playing to that, playing to that perception of women too. We just talk shit behind people's backs mm-hmm. and then move mm-hmm. on. Um, exactly. Yeah. Animating that for construction. <laughs> totally, right? Because it, it is, and like we like I said, and like Lugonis really makes it clear, there are sometimes places and situations where you have such limited ability to really move, mm-hmm. to, 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 to do anything but animate that construction mm-hmm. because it's, it's basically your only option sometimes. Yeah. And I think vulnerability is such a systemic thing. Like, I think that it needs to really kind of happen at the roots, so to speak, Mm -hmm. for us to see results and kind of make it into like a full-blown movement. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah, that's, I think, really scary for lots of people because who wants to be vulnerable? Like... And that's another thing is that I'm, I'm actually questioning that too because something I actually even wrote about was how one of my uh, one of the participants in the research she was she used silence actually as a tool of as a tool to actually own her own voice. Hmm. How did so, she do that? So it's interesting, right? Because you think about silence as being that she's being silenced. Mm. Whereas she's choosing silence, she was choosing silence to only share with those she wanted to share with. Oh, okay. So it was interesting because 
And the reason I got that, and I'll share a story with you from the from the research itself. So when we first ta- just, uh, met, um, she shared very little, like really, she just said, oh, I like soccer. Oh, I like my classroom. And it was very, very surface, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not used to that because a lot of the time when I talk to people, slowly but surely they start to open up. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm. And so over time, and so it was over time because with narrative inquiry, you're having multiple conversations over time. After a couple of months, I said, uh, she said something that made, made it click for me why she did that. Because at one point, she was talking about her sister and how shy her sister is and, or isn't. And so she said, you know, I'm shy too sometimes. She, then she said, actually, no, I'm not shy. Uh, I'm not shy. I, I, I just, I'm quiet, but I'm not shy. She said, I only want to talk, basically, if somebody's talking and sharing with me, then I will talk and share with them. So for her, vulnerability was based in reciprocity. Mm. Why am I going to share with you if it's not coming from you? Totally. So that, for me, was like, the reason she didn't share with me at first is here I am asking her all these questions and she could she barely knew anything yeah. about me. She's like, who are you? Why why should I tell you? Why should I tell you? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So she always, she was really what she was doing and what she really talked about, really underlying all of that was she was owning her voice, owning her stories. Mm-hmm. So vulnerability is not and then Brene Brown talks about this. It's not indiscriminate sharing. Mm-hmm. It's not just being completely open and, and risking everything. Mm-hmm. It's also knowing when to share, with who to share. Mm-hmm. And and to understand that in certain situations, it's just at that moment, for whatever reason, I don't feel good about this. So it's also not putting yourself in harm's way, either mentally, physically, or emotionally. Mm-hmm. So we also have to understand that there, there need to be some barriers around vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is an activity of like, reflection and thought like when when what do I mean by being vulnerable in what situation so in leadership how is that so for that chapter that we're writing what does that mean in leadership leading with vulnerability mm-hmm. and for me it's always the answer is to show that I'm human yeah <laughs> that I make mistakes I will mm-hmm. own my mistakes and then I will move move on I'll yeah. move forward yeah same thing as a teacher to be to lead with vulnerability, to teach with vulnerability, is to share my stories, which I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Overshare TMI. <laughs> <laughs> we love it though. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I share my stories and I, I try to show I am a human who's trying to make the best choices I can at whatever time. I might totally mess up sometimes, but I'll own it. Mm-hmm. And then we move forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's really powerful, and I've never thought about that, like, in the aspect of vulnerability until now. It's kind of like I was kind of thinking about it as quality over quantity, mm-hmm. like deciding who you are going to be vulnerable and authentic with. It's not like you have to just go and, like, preach to everyone, like, yes. all of your truths and beliefs mm-hmm. and everything like that. There's power in silence. There's power in um, there's power in being selective with what you share, with whom you share it with, what you say, and I think that takes takes a lot of like deep reflection and like mindfulness too um, when it comes to being vulnerable. And maybe those can be like baby steps that people can start to implement when they decide, hey, I think I'm going to connect with my inner truth and be vulnerable and start 
I don't know, kind of like taking off this outer layer and finally taking that deep breath of fresh air and being settled and okay with who you are and wanting to project that out into the world. Exactly. And it's always, and here's the thing, there's no end destination. It's not like, Mm -hmm. oh, I've made it. Yeah. I am now somebody who's totally comfortable with being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'll ever get there if that's, no. your, if that's your goal. No. It really is constantly negotiated, constantly a process mm-hmm. that you're living mm-hmm. to say, okay, you know, and also to inquire and to be self-reflective in terms of, you know, facing yourself and saying, okay, what, what, what's my motivations here sometimes? Like, why am I having such tensions with this? Or why do I believe this is important? to be able to have those questions and ask them of yourself. Because sometimes we demand so much of others, right? But we're not really looking inwards and saying, why do I think that this is important, right? Mm-hmm. That that I that others are vulnerable with me, or vice versa, that I be vulnerable with others. Am I asking too much sometimes in certain situations? Mm-hmm. Right, because it is, I think we talk about vulnerability sometimes from a place of privilege. And for me, what what that means is mm-hmm. okay. I just had to think about that. Yeah, for a second. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that. You're yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I think because you know, for me, I can be vulnerable and know I have a lot of people to support me. Mm-hmm. I have I have many soft places to land. Mm-hmm. And and it might not be the case for a lot of people yeah. that they can make them allow themselves to be that vulnerable to have those soft places to land if they take that risk and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And that can be from multiple factors. Exactly. So especially as teachers, right, to think about that, right? Like, yeah. yes, we can lead from a, and, and teach and love and grow from a place of vulnerability. But maybe it is, a, we also have to think about the privilege that that might also be reflective of. Yeah. That maybe other people don't feel that that's an option for them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And where do we make spaces where people can really allow them their true selves to be seen and heard and valued yeah yeah and I think it's important for us as teachers to make those spaces because if we want our students to be vulnerable um but they don't really have as you put it the soft places to land then we can maybe be that soft place for them to land their fellow peers the school the community yes because they may come from backgrounds that have like zero soft spaces to land and that's just the reality of yeah. today unfortunately and it's been the reality for, for, for I think yeah that's forever true. yeah that there's going to be sometimes and hopefully the more and more we interact engage with students that's not the case but you know even if it's for for whatever reason they feel like they can't they can't let that guard down and to be the people who yeah maybe to model it to show it no matter what but to understand that for some people it's just not an option in their mind and you know to honor that as well that not mm-hmm. everybody believes it is or feels that they can mm-hmm. um, and to do the best that we can to honor the different ways of being in the world right yeah 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 and so you've talked a lot about vulnerability as being a woman of color and from a teaching perspective mm-hmm. what about vulnerability when it comes to a parent <laughs> being a parent oh man this was uh, today's a hard day to talk about that today because yeah. uh, so as you know and I'll <laughs> I'll brief your viewers I mean your viewers your your listeners <laughs> sorry it's been a long day like I said <laughs> it's two o'clock and it's been a long I know, day everyone, for both of us <laughs> yeah but um 
so my youngest has autism mm -hmm. or is autistic I always have to change my language because so many mm -hmm. people say you don't say has it like it's a disease yeah, yeah. is autistic mm -hmm. so my youngest is autistic and she's turning six this month so she'll be moving into grade one and right now she's in a private school setting and that's its own story because I took her out of a uh, one of the school boards because of my feeling that she was not being included in how at least how I understood inclusion mm -hmm. it was more like what uh, Shelley Moore calls integration mm -hmm. just that she's in the classroom physically as a body same place but yeah. not really included right yeah so anyways um, so today I had a phone call about from one of those school boards basically telling me are you sure that you don't want your your daughter to go to this program and it's for students who are with identified special needs or disabilities or cognitive disabilities sorry and uh i think i am just exhausted mm -hmm. already and we're only at the beginning of our journey <laughs> we're, she's only six <laughs> we got decades to yeah, go <laughs> i know i'm like thinking oh man because it's like it's been well obviously with her early education people were really understanding and so good but right now we're starting to get to this point where especially as a teacher educator i know that people some people won't be happy with having her, her in their classrooms will view her as a burden mm -hmm. will view her as oh i have another and then they'll list all of the special needs in their classroom as if they're not human beings as if they're yeah. just their labels yeah so um it's hard to know that right yeah. it's that's difficult knowledge mm -hmm. but also this vulnerability of what of admitting to that and that tension to my students and to my colleagues and saying i don't know that this is that we're really grasping how how people are experiencing this right now right yeah, yeah especially being yeah I hear what you're saying being vulnerable in like an education program about your views on inclusion because you're living the experience exactly with your with your daughter because it for a lot of people it's it's theoretical it's abstract for me it's very experiential day day. it's every day it is literally I got a call about it today it threw me off yeah uh, it is not something that I just think about mm -hmm. or just read about or study it's something we're living every day mm -hmm. and we've only and I'm already tired not of my daughter she's the like the best thing that's happened in my world mm -hmm. it's I'm tired of having to convince people that she should be included yeah as if that's like it's not a human right or anything she, no she lives in this community she has every right to be educated just like every child in this neighborhood mm-hmm and without me fearing that her teacher or anybody is going to get to be annoyed at that mm -hmm. or to be um, not welcoming of having her there. Mm -hmm. So that is hard. That's an, something that I'm, it's hard to be vulnerable about and to talk about, especially as you're living it and you're worried, right? Because that's a big part of why sometimes I'm awake at night and wondering about what is that going to look like for, for her next year and obviously for us as a family. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is that even in my research, it's uh, my oh. research is literally about mothering and motherhood. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is, I don't know why I chose the hardest type of research. <laughs> and like, Cause it's not easy to tell no. your personal stories. It's, no. And for somebody like me who actually, that was something that I had to, to almost train myself to do, to be vulnerable, to allow myself to share my stories. Mm -hmm. Because for the longest time, 
we lived in a family where you only told your stories to the family, mm-hmm. like to the people closest to you. There's no one. There's no reason anybody else should know about this. Yeah. But as I grew older, I was like, and and you know, with reading, with meeting new people, mm-hmm. realized no, we have to tell our stories mm-hmm. because otherwise, other people are going to tell them for us. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be hashtag fake news. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's why I just said, no, we need to do this. And that's why my research went in that direction with mothers and daughters. As a, so the first research study, my doctoral research study, was about the experiences of Muslim mothers and daughters transitioning into adolescence. Right. With the girls transitioning into adolescence, right. not the moms. Yeah. Not <laughs> and all of a sudden, I, you see this on CNN with this, like, yeah. no. <laughs> But anyways, but that's because it was lived. It was a lived experience. And mm-hmm. now it's with Maya. Um, it's going to be my lived experience alongside her as a mom advocating for her for sure, but also hopefully teaching her to, to self-advocate, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and other mothers. And I'm thinking, spe- and the more and more I think about this, the more I think about newcomer mothers. Mm-hmm. Maybe parents who are just new to the, don't really understand the system, don't, maybe don't have the language, maybe... If I'm feeling so tired and, and unsure and I cannot believe, I cannot imagine how these other parents are feeling, right? That don't know the country, the culture, the, the language, the system. Yeah. I have no clue how they, and I'm sure they get supports like with the Multicultural Health Workers, amazing organization, but, but you know, and other types of supports. But those are the, the women and mothers that I'm hoping to come alongside in my next stage of my research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and y- you have had to be vulnerable in so, so many like different aspects, and I'm sure with each kind of I don't know season of being vulnerable, there's like a new, along with failures, there's new triumphs and successes, and yes. you probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, feel maybe more solid in your foundation with who you are and where you're coming from after each kind of um, success with being vulnerable. Oh, for sure. Because here's the thing. Yes, I'm vulnerable in my research. Yes, I'm vulnerable in my teaching. But thankfully, thankfully, I've had, for the most part, people are extremely open to Mm -hmm. it. Let's be honest. I came into this program. I'm brand new. Mm-hmm. Probably the only hijabi teacher that most students have ever had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> but it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. It's been amazing. I've had. I've only ever had, um, you know, feedback that's only ever really heartened me and made me love being like love this profession even more. Yeah. So I love being a teacher, mm-hmm. but it's just like to be able to have that that feedback to say, oh, you're making a difference, or we love uh, lo- we love how you you teach, or whatever the feedback is, mm-hmm. right? It's like the best feeling in the world. Same yeah. thing with my research and just it being acknowledged and thankfully, and then this is not humble bragging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, are, like people are seeing that it's important, and it's mm-hmm. not just in terms of Muslim mothers and daughters and the, the single stories of Muslim women. That's important, definitely. So, yes, I'm getting research funding or awards for different things. But it's also the fact that <clears throat> the story-based research, the narrative inquiry, which is extremely vulnerable because researchers are expected to share their own stories of experience and weave them through. Not easy. Mm-hmm. It's easy to be more, uh, for me, 
I would rather be objective, quote unquote, and be able to just tell other people's stories. Yeah. But to actually come alongside and be relational in this reciprocal and vulnerable relationship alongside co-inquirers, that does, that's not easy. Mm-mm. And to be able to do that, and but also to find such satisfaction. And these women are still my friends. And these yeah. girls and women, I st- we're still messaging, we're still meeting up because you've built connections as a friendship. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you understand each other's stories so intimately, right? Yeah, and I think that, like, going back to, like, kind of the main topic of this is that being vulnerable is so scary, but it's also needed for, like, human connection and relationships and making those friendships and feeling, I don't know, I think it's kind of paradoxical because if you are vulnerable, you feel like you might be marginalized, but then when when you kind of do the things that make you vulnerable, then it brings you closer with other people. Because I believe that we are more similar than we are different. Yes. And it's interesting that you say that because it brings you closer to other people who you want to be close with, I guess, is, yeah. is, another, is part of it. Because well, it's because you're selective with who you're vulnerable. <laughs> exactly. Well, hopefully you're selective with who, who you're, you're vulnerable. being vulnerable with. Exactly. So, yeah. for example, in... <laughs> I've tried to share some of my stories. Remember that border story that I shared in class? Yes. So I shared that in an academic setting mm. and a couple of different times. Mm-hmm. And it really depended on the composition. Sometimes I was met with almost exact, with almost t- total silence. Mm-hmm. People didn't know what to think. Like, okay, this is a, pa- like, you know, quote unquote, powerful story, yeah. but how is this academic, yeah. right? They're not, even the, the way that I'm sharing hopefully breaking down borders mm-hmm. about what is quote-unquote academic and what's not. And this idea of bringing people together, it has to be, obviously, when you're being vulnerable, it requires openness mm-hmm. on, the, on well, both sides, right? Yeah. So if you're kind of trying to be vulnerable and you're, you're hitting <laughs> literally <laughs> to, <laughs> to a like, solid wall, Yeah. It's, it's not healthy for you to keep trying that, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to have to be creative and try different ways to kind of create those spaces where you can honestly be, be yourself in whatever situation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just this constant negotiation of, okay, so h- how vulnerable can I be here? In what form? How can I represent that? So also understanding that it's, everything is so contextual and situational mm-hmm. and that so many di- different considerations need to be in place before you, re- under, you really, you undertake in that hard and difficult work. Because it's not just about like, oh, I'm going to go like skydiving and taking that risk, but without the parachute, right? Yeah, like, without not doing thinking research and planning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what it is too for me is kind of, you know, really considering so much, so much before you start to to allow yourself in, in different situations to be fully seen or at least to try to be fully seen. Yeah, and I think that's that's important to note because before putting like vulnerability into practice into your life, it is important to reflect and kind of like make a plan before you you do that because it's like one of the most vulnerable things I think you can do is uh, like quit your job and kind of quote unquote like go find yourself or like switch careers or like that is like very very vulnerable Mm -hmm. and I think you have to 
talk with your support system and really self-reflect and analyze and plan and say, if I take this leap to be vulnerable, what are the pros? What are the cons? Do the yes. pros outweigh the cons mm-hmm. long-term, short-term? Because you can't just go out and just, I feel, start being vulnerable everywhere to everyone because then I think you may get more negative reper- repercussion than positive. Exactly. And I'm so glad you brought up support system because in our in the research we talked about something and I termed something called relational resistance. Mm-hmm. So in the resistance wasn't like I'm going to push up you I'm going to do this or I'm, it's it's not actually it might sound like it's combative but it's really not. It's relationally retelling our own stories and allowing ourselves to be seen in mm-hmm. in our in our full complexity. Yeah. But the relational is what was so important about that is that yes you know i think yeah individually we can be strong enough to to do things but why should we mm-hmm. why can we not actually take on that load that burden and share mm-hmm. it right and to really each one of us uplift the other and uplift sometimes i might need to take on a little bit more you know with that group mm-hmm. and it's like everybody who who loves and, and supports you should be in on that so it's like yes and the co-inquirers were part of it but it's also my mom it's also my grandma, may, may she rest in peace, just this last summer she passed away, but she was very much there with me and, and, and really helping me to carry some of that load along the way. My sisters, my friends, my, and yes, a lot of the women were like, but my husband was absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. My son, my, do you know what I mean? So yeah. just the people who helped to root and sustain me, mm-hmm. that they are who I'm drawing upon and who are in the strength and, the, is, and who are allowing me to do this work in vulnerable ways because I know that I have so many soft spaces and places mm-hmm. to land mm-hmm. but it's also just that that ability to talk to them is so important to say what do you think about this mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean because yeah. sometimes we're so I guess we're so zeroed in on a situation or on a goal that you lose sight of you know the peripheral I call it the fishbowl effect. It's kind of like you're just like in a fishbowl and yeah. you don't see anything else around you. And then when you kind of get out of that fishbowl, take a step back, look at the bigger picture, it's yes. like a completely different view. Exactly. Exactly right. So it's like, what am I able? So Maxine Green actually talks about seeing big and seeing small. Mm-hmm. So when you're seeing big, you're looking at, it, at something really up close. Mm-hmm. and you're really examining it closely sometimes we need to see big so that's sometimes that's the fishbowl right like when you're really up close and right in there mm-hmm. but the seeing small is you're kind of widening that line zooming out mm-hmm. and see and that what you what used to be big and right in front of you is actually small and you see the wider context mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so that ability to navigate between seeing big and seeing small is part of that jo- our job as teachers as well I think and as just women mm-hmm. and human beings Mm-hmm. is to kind of be able to back and forth. When when do I need to be vulnerable too in that movement from seeing big and seeing small? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so a final question for you that, okay. I've been, <laughs> that I've been thinking about this whole time. Okay. Um, when do you think in your life you've had to be extremely vulnerable, but from that extreme vulnerability, you've... Um, the repercussions of it have been the most beneficial like has there been a time in your life where you being vulnerable maybe like set you on a different path or or allowed you to uh allowed a relationship of yours to flourish or or something like that like what 
time in your life has vulnerability vulnerability been like monumental well actually that's interesting that you ask because I actually just shared it for the first time in class today too oh yeah so when I uh, was when I worked at a a private school Mm -hmm. and I was part of the unionization efforts for that school which Mm -hmm. they did end up getting unionized it's a long story but anyways, I was there for a good almost seven years, and um, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot. Yeah, <laughs> awesome teacher. <laughs> she is. <laughs> but it's like uh, I was beloved in the community, mm-hmm. and I and I loved the community right back. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, though, um, I I just saw things that were really troublesome and worrisome to me. So part of that vulnerability was was making myself seen as somebody who was helping to organize this. At first we had to be really quiet just so that it could happen. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it was done, I never I never denied it and I made it very clear that I was one of the main people and forces behind it. And I was vilified. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was awful. From the same community that... From the same community, yes. Wow. And it was like, yes, anonymous email sent out about me. and wow. It was a thing. Yeah. And it was so crazy because it's like your intentions were to do good, but it just spiraled, right? Mm-hmm. So again, I made myself vulnerable. I allowed that to have, like, I allowed myself to hopefully be seen. If people weren't willing or ready, yeah, to accept that, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody. I had a lot of supporters who were awesome, but anyways. But from that was my decision to continue on into graduate studies because mm. I just I needed to get away from yeah. that and yeah. I didn't want to go into teaching it I wasn't just in a place where I felt like I could go back yeah so that 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 led me into my graduate I thought it was just going to be a master's <laughs> fell in love with it yeah. decided to go into my PhD and honestly it's the best decision I could have ever made in my life wow that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah so vulnerability can definitely <laughs> Definitely make some big, big changes. But even this decision to go to graduate school was well, it was a, well, it was taking a risk. I was trying to, I was making myself very vulnerable because I wasn't sure that I had it, what it took. Same thing with with PhD studies. Same thing with the research. (laughs) I guess in every stage, there's gonna you're making yourself vulnerable because you are taking that risk, and hopefully showing, parts the different parts of yourself that, sometimes you're afraid would be rejected. Yeah. Yeah, and I can. I can attest to that too with mm. um, even coming into this program I thought that I was only like I don't know like good enough or smart enough for like a B of A degree and not saying that that's not good enough but I knew that I had more in me and I think it was a little bit scary because on my dad's side um, there's many of us who have been to university and then my mom's side I'm the first not only woman but first member of the family to to go to university so yeah, so it's it's daunting because you feel like you have all this pressure and weight of the world, but now being a month away from graduation, I'm like, I can do anything. Like, <laughs> if I can do this, I can do and anything. And I'm so glad you're saying that because one of the things that I notice in myself is that you're, I'm so focused on the next goal. Mm-hmm. I don't take the time to celebrate what you what I have accomplished that is literally me yes and yeah. I'm so glad you're saying that because I think it is amazing I think we need to celebrate our own and each other's accomplishments that you know what it might be taken for granted oh you graduate well no that is amazing you did all of this work and you went through all so much hardship and you're here and mm-hmm. you're still here and you you, you, you rocked it right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that for me that's my my issue too is that it's like 
you know, because especially the, nobody wants to to be seen as arrogant or oh mm-hmm. my god, I'm big headed or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But it's like to say, hey, you know what? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> About yeah. yourself. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Yeah. That and is pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think that it's in like the way I look at it. I tend to always look at how much further I have to go instead of looking behind me, looking at yes. wow, how look. much I've already accomplished and exactly. done and. I need people to like remind me of that because I feel like I'm so ambitious ambitious and driven and determined and that's awesome but it can also be overwhelming and I can tend to just keep on looking ahead and ahead and ahead and it's like okay yes. calm down but like at what point doing... are you actually staying in the moment and, yeah. and thinking wow you know mm-hmm. I actually did that and not only did it I freaking rocked it yeah right yeah and so that's why i'm like let's be vulnerable and just pat ourselves on the backs Mm -hmm. (laughs) and pat other people on the backs who's being vulnerable right and to say you know you know we did this and it is amazing and that we did take these risks and like sometimes it's not going to work out but for this yeah it it definitely has been worth it Mm -hmm. right yeah well i want to thank you so much for doing this with me i really really appreciate it and thank you for having me it's been like honestly my first podcast i'm so excited <laughs> now i'm gonna be like melina when's the next one yeah yeah totally <laughs> the next one is on inclusion <laughs> oh god <laughs> we're save gonna be five one. hours to save that one yeah. for like a couple of months from now i need to like recuperate yeah. after today oh yeah, man totally okay well thank you thank you Thank you for listening to another episode of All Things May. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to screenshot it and send it to your friends. And also don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Melena S. See you next time.